This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning. Our passage this morning is going to be from Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and, and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither, rust, neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Good morning. Hey, welcome to Redeemer. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I'm really glad to be with you. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, let's pray, and then let's talk about money again. God, thank you. Thanks that um, all the prayers that we prayed and the scripture that we heard read, the songs that we sang are true, that you are the one who's bringing light into a dark world. Light shines in the darkness. Darkness can't overcome it. And so in this uh, crazy time of year where there is so much to celebrate and there is a lot of sadness, will, will, will you help us to see you? Will you bring light where there's darkness? Will you bring peace where there's conflict or chaos? God, will you teach us to live as citizens of your kingdom? Thanks for speaking to us. Thank you for your word. Now, will you speak to us? I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, today is the third Sunday of Advent. Believe it or not, we have three candles lit up here, which means that we are fully in the chaos of the Christmas season. Does anyone else feel like they are right in the middle of all the chaos that the Christmas season brings? Um, I, when I was growing up, my family had a list of Christmas movies that we would watch every single year. Maybe you guys have a similar list where you have, okay, each and every year at Christmas, it doesn't even matter if we like the movie, but we just have to watch it because that's what we do. That is a Christmas tradition. For us, we would watch It's a Wonderful Life. Every year, we would watch A Christmas Story. Uh, we would watch Why Christmas, but the the, the favorite movie that my family likes was Albert Finney's Scrooge. Maybe you've never seen it. Maybe you've never heard of it. It's an old musical. I don't know why my family loved it so much, but we loved it. It wasn't Christmas unless we watched Scrooge. And so it's based off a story that you guys probably know, uh, Charles Dickens' a Christmas Carol, which tells the story of this old miser, Ebenezer Scrooge, who valued, held on to money, alienated all of his closest relationships, chose to uh, just accumulate and hoard everything that he could for himself until he's visited by three ghosts, realizes that the path he's on uh, is empty, 
It leads to a lonely death, repents of his ways, and commits himself to a life of selfless generosity. There's something in the Christmas season that recognizes that there's two conflicting forces inside of us. There's like this force that wants to accumulate, get more, uh, possess more, secure things for ourselves, have a nice life. And also there's this tension or idea that, hey, we should be selfless. We should give away what we have for the sake of others. And real life is found not in the accumulation of things, but in generosity. Uh, Advent, Christmas, it's a strange time of year because we really feel, look at, and embrace tension. Advent is about light and darkness, What does it mean that light has come in a world that feels really dark? Advent Christmas is about looking at the tension between materialism. Is this a time where we ask for more things that we don't really need? Or is this a time that we selflessly give away what we have for the sake of others? Advent embraces tension. It's a time for us to actually not just avoid it, not try to you know, put it off to the side and uh, just ignore it, not think about it. Advent is a time when we look back to the first coming of Jesus and remember and realize, oh, no, no matter what it looks like in this world, no matter how dark my own heart feels, no matter how dark the world around me, outside of me feels, light has come. Light broke into the world. And it's also a time for us to look forward and say, hey, things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Jesus said that he would come again. So we look back to his first coming and we wait for him to come again a second time to fully bring the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we look back and as we look forward in Advent, we also ask the question, what does it mean for us to live right now in that tension, in the time between the times? And that's what Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is all about, Right? What does it look like to live as a citizen of the inbreaking kingdom of God, shaped by, defined by the kingdom's values, living in light and standing against darkness? And the word that Jesus has for us today, I think is really appropriate for this time of year because he's talking about the tendency inside of all of us to treasure or pursue the wrong things. He's talking about greed. He's talking about how we have this gnawing desire always to have a little bit more, to have something a little bit nicer. If we could just get that thing, then maybe we could be okay. And Jesus says, hey, if you live your life by that principle, if you're driven and led by the gnawing kind of feeling and desire for more, you're actually gonna miss the kingdom of God. And what's required is wholehearted obedience, wholehearted pursuit of the kingdom of God. And ironically, Jesus says, when you do that, that's actually when you find all the happiness, peace, and joy that you think greed and possessions can give you. So, Um, If you are new with us or if you haven't been with us for a little while, we're going right through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying out uh, his agenda 
for the kingdom. He says, hey, if you want to know what I came to do, if you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like, it looks like this. Uh, It looks like the poor in spirit inheriting the earth. It looks like living for the favor of God. It looks like pursuing obedience. It looks like... um, orienting our entire lives towards God's favor instead of the favor or approval that comes from people. That's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Jesus over and over and over and over again says, hey, do not live for the approval of other people. It's, it's not gonna give you what you want. Instead, seek and pursue the approval that can only come from God. And so up to this point, he's been giving us some pretty... Um, religious applications, right? He's talking about giving to the needy. He's talking about praying. He's talking about forgiveness. He's been talking about fasting, which are religious activities, right? It's things that we can do, and we can do them in a way that's really good, that's really healthy, or we can use those activities to look really good to other people. Jesus knows that there is a real power in religious activity that can make us look really good. And it's really sneaky, right? Because we're doing a good thing. But Jesus says our hearts are so divided that we can do that good thing for the entirely wrong reason. We can give away all that we have, not so the poor can be, um, have a better life or that we can glorify God, but so that our neighbor can think we're a great person. And Jesus says, hey, if you seek the approval from people, you're probably gonna get it, but that's all you're gonna get. Instead, seek the approval from God. Live your life before the face of God. So Jesus is gonna continue that theme in these verses as he talks about money, but he's shifting from kind of a religious application towards everyday material life. What does it look like in the everyday to steward our possessions towards the kingdom of God? What does it look like to push back against greed and materialism in our hearts them and live in a wholehearted pursuit of the kingdom. And it's not surprising that Jesus is going to start by talking about money. Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell in the Bible. And when he talks about money, he's not going to give you investment advice. He's not going to help you lay out retirement goals or give you percentages that you should save towards. Instead, Jesus recognizes that money and possessions have a really unique hold on our hearts and a unique power in our lives. So he uses it to illustrate our relationship with God. And Jesus says the way that we relate to money and possessions illustrates the way that we relate to God. The way that we relate to money and possessions shows what we think about who God is. If we hoard, accumulate, try to get more and more, it shows that we think God doesn't actually care about giving us what we need. It's up to us. We need to uh, achieve things for ourselves. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't live your life by greed That's the path of darkness. Instead, trust God, serve God. And as you do that, you'll actually find a deep life. So Jesus is going to make this point about life in the kingdom of God by telling us about two treasures, two eyes, and two masters. But all those things have one point. Pursue God's kingdom before anything else. So two treasures, two eyes, Two masters, one point, pursue the kingdom of God. Let's start by looking at two treasures in chapter six, verse 19. I'm gonna read it again. Jesus 
begins his teaching by, with a command. He's saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is um, talking about money, but really he's talking about our hearts, right? He is laser focused on what we are looking for, what we are treasuring, and what we are pursuing. And so he says, hey, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Literally, what he's saying is, hey, don't treasure treasure. Don't, don't treasure earthly treasure. Uh, instead, go after heavenly treasure. Why? Because earthly treasure, Jesus says, is temporary. It's always in danger of being lost. You should not invest all of your life and energy towards things that you can lose really easily. Instead, Jesus is saying, invest in something that can't be lost, something that won't lose value, something that will last forever. The, 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 the main point is pretty simple, um, but there are, there are a few questions I think that if you're reading this, you, you should be asking like, what's the difference between earthly treasure and heavenly treasure? How do I know if I'm actually treasuring earthly treasure? Is Jesus saying that possessions are bad, that we shouldn't have possessions at all? And how, how do we actually lay up treasures in heaven? If he's telling us we should lay up treasures in heaven, how do you, how do you actually do that? Um, let's, let's try to answer those. First, um, when, when Jesus is talking about earthly versus heavenly, that's a theme that kind of goes all throughout the Gospels. So in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven over and over and over again. So heaven is the place where God is present, where God's value system is implemented, where God rules as king over his kingdom. It's, it's the realm where God actually reigns. Earth isn't just talking about like this physical geography, this place where we live. It's actually more of like a realm that stands in opposition to God. It's temporal, it's self-centered, it's focused on self, and it's not driven to pursue the kingdom of God. So when Jesus is talking about laying up treasures on earth, he's not saying, hey, don't get things. What he's saying is, don't put all of your stock, don't put all of your heart, don't put all of your treasure in things that aren't aligned with the purposes of God. Uh, it's, it's, it's okay to have money. It's okay to have savings. It's okay to have a house. Jesus isn't saying don't have those things. What he is saying is don't invest all of your time, hope, and energy in those things. Don't put your ultimate hope in them. Why? He's, because it's ridiculous. You can lose them in a second. Jesus gives this picture or image of moths eating away uh, clothes or rust uh, destroying metal. Back in Jesus' day, uh, everything was physical, right? They didn't have any electronic banking. They didn't have electronic money. Uh, everything was coins or clothing. So, uh, and they didn't have banks where they could store it. So all of your possessions were always at risk of being lost. People would bury things in fields because they, they, they wanted to protect them. The houses that they lived in, like they didn't have bricks, they didn't have stones, they didn't have security systems. A lot of times they were mud huts. So people would literally dig through walls, break in, steal money, steal treasure, bring it out. And, Jesus is, and so Jesus is pointing to the fact, hey, all these things that you work so hard to get, 
to accumulate, you can lose them in a second. Like someone might dig through your wall tonight and take all the money that you have. You might open up your, your, your chest that has your best clothes in it and realize, oh shoot, a moth got in here and ate everything. It's temporal. It's, it, it won't last. It won't give you the security that you're actually looking and longing for. Instead, invest in something that will last forever. Now, we live in a different context, right? We have banks, we have insurance, like our money, our possessions are pretty secure. But are they? Like, we, we, we lose things all the time. I work out with a group of guys in the morning a lot of times, and one of the guys I work out with owns his own business, and so I was just asking him uh, earlier this week, like, hey, how's the business going? Uh, you know, how, are, are you pretty busy? And he was, he was like, oh, man, you know, um, I'm not an economist, but based on how things are going, next year is going to be really rough. Uh, and so he's just like, man, there, there are signs that the economy's probably going to go in a downturn. Like he's like, I'm trying to think about how, how am I going to take care of my workers? How am I going to pay my bills? Because things are a lot slower than they used to be. We have really sophisticated techniques to hold on to our money, hold on to our possessions. And we live in a world where all of that could be gone in a second, right? Economies crash. Depressions happen, 401ks go away, houses burn down. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. Jesus is saying, do not put all of your hope in those things. Do not treasure earthly treasure. So is it bad to have possessions? Is it bad to have savings? No, Jesus is not saying that we should not have anything. What he is saying is that we should value the right things, that we should think about money and possessions wisely and rightly. You might be asking, okay, what does that mean to value money and possessions wisely and rightly? Uh, Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs is a book of wisdom in the Old Testament. It's probably gonna be right in the middle of your Bibles. Uh, And the book of Proverbs is really written to show you what a life uh, lived before the face of God and the fear of God looks like. If you wanna know what it looks like to live a wise life, start by reading the book of Proverbs. There's this crazy prayer uh, in Proverbs chapter 30, starting in verse seven. It's written by this guy, Agur, the son of Jacob. No idea who that guy was, but this is a prayer that he prayed. He says, he's praying to God. He says, two things I ask from you, deny them not to me before I die. Number one, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Number two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. When was the last time you prayed a prayer like that? When was the last time that you prayed, hey God, don't give me too much? Because if I have too much, there's something inside of us that doesn't go to, oh my gosh, God, look at all that you've given me. When we have a lot, most of the time we go to, look what I did. Look what I got for myself. Look what my strength, look what my smarts, look what my grit and my grinding achieved for myself. God, don't give me too much, much, lest I get full and actually deny you and say, who's the Lord? He's also saying, hey, don't let me be poor either, uh, because if I'm poor, then I might steal, I might curse you, I might profane your name. Give me 
just what I need. Give me enough so that I can live trusting you. If you want a biblical answer to how much money should you have, this is probably as close as you're gonna get. You should have enough where you trust God, where you're forced to trust God, and you have enough to meet your immediate needs. Jesus isn't warning about having things in general. Jesus is warning about the problem of greed in our lives. Notice back in Matthew chapter six, you can turn back there. He says, don't treasure up treasure for yourselves. Don't focus on getting things for yourselves. He's going right back to the problem that our hearts value the wrong things all the time. We run after money and after stuff because we think that it's going to give us something that we are missing. Not we, I think it's gonna give me something that I'm missing. I had such a hard time trying to figure out how to preach this because I realized this week that I'm a really greedy person. Like, I like things. I like to have nice things. I, I, I go to stores and walk up and down aisles and look at things like, oh man, if I had that, how amazing would that be? Um, I really like bourbon, so I'll go to stores and look at bourbons that I could never afford. Like, but I'm like, oh man, if I had that, like, that would be so amazing. I play this game sometimes. Do you ever play this game? I'm sure you do. Like, hey, if I just had a little bit more money, you know, I would do this, I would buy this thing, I would buy this car, I would, you know, do this for, for my kids. I can get really out of control when I start playing that game. Like, I, uh, if I start playing that game, if I just had a little bit more, eventually I make the jump to, well, man, what if I was a billionaire? Like, what would I do with a billion dollars? And then I would be like, I think I would buy a sports team. I think I would buy Manchester United. And then I realized, oh, shoot, I, I have to have like $5 billion to buy Manchester United. But then I'm like, well, I would probably have to have $5 billion more to actually run it. Before you, I, I did this a few weeks ago and I realized if I had $30 billion, I think I would be okay. <laughs> That's like... I don't think it was sinful to like play that game or, or run that out. Hey, what, what would you do if you had all of this? I think at the same time, Jesus is going to point at that and say, huh, what does that say about your heart? What, what, what does fixating on those things, what does wondering, hey, if I just had this, if I could just like make this much more, if I could just have this house, if I could just make sure that I had these goals towards retirement, then I would be okay. Jesus would say, hey, be wise. That was weird. Jesus would say, pursue wisdom and also, what does that say about your heart? What does that say about how quickly we are to jump towards what we don't have instead of gratitude for what we do have? If I could just have this, if I could just hold on to this, then I would be okay. Jesus says your choice is between two treasures. Are you gonna treasure the things that you think are gonna make you happy? Or are you gonna give your life in wholehearted pursuit of the kingdom of God and actually find what you think money can give you but can't there? Jesus is gonna continue at this point in this illustration by moving on to talking about two eyes. Look back down in your Bibles to... Uh, verse 22. Verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Pursue treasure in heaven. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? These verses seem a little bit random. Uh, It's easy to see what uh, treasure has to do uh, with the last verse, which is you can't serve God in money, but this feels really random, right? We go from talking about treasure then to talking about money right in the middle. It's talking about two eyes and two ways of seeing. Um, But it still has to do with greed because um, in in Jesus's day, there's, uh, they, they were obsessed with kind of ideas of light and darkness. What does it mean to live in light? How do you um, avoid the darkness? How do you avoid walking in darkness? And how do you actually have healthy vision? How do you have healthy goals? How do you make sure that you're living in the right direction? We, we, we talk about things in similar ways, right? What we can miss here is that Jesus is using a really common figure of speech that all of his listeners would have been familiar with, but since we're sitting here 2,000 years later, uh, we have a hard time picking up on. My boys are at the age right now where they ask a million questions about every single thing. We watched a movie the other night, and they, the entire time, were just asking question after question after question. Um, a, few, a few weeks ago, I was talking to Owen, my six-year-old, and I said, hey, man, are you pulling my leg? Because he was joking around with me. He's like, what does that mean? Like, what is it? And I was like... Oh, is, it means, are you tricking me? He's like, well, why, why would you say I'm pulling your leg? I was like, I have no idea. That's just something we say. We have these figures of speech, right? Like, hey, are you pulling my leg? Uh, I got by, by the skin of my teeth. That thing cost me an arm and a leg. Like, we say all these things that it's like, what does that mean? I don't know. It just means the thing that we all know that it means. Um, when Jesus is talking about dark eyes and healthy eyes, he's doing the exact same thing. He's using a figure of speech that everyone in his day would have known. To have a dark or a bad eye meant that you were a selfish and greedy person. It's talking about greed and generosity. The two eyes have to do with how you relate to possessions. Turn over your Bibles again to Matthew chapter 20. A few pages later, um, this is in the same gospel. In Matthew 20, Jesus tells this story of workers in a vineyard. It's a parable, and the parable goes something like this. There's a master, he owns a vineyard, and he realizes that the harvest needs to come, so he goes out and he hires these people to work for him. He says, hey, I will pay you this much if you come and work for me. And so they do it, they start working. He realizes that he needs more workers. So a few hours later, he goes out and he hires some more workers. He says, hey, will you come work for me for the rest of the day? I'll pay you this much. They do it, they go in. A few hours later, he realizes, I need more people. So he goes out and he finds people. He says, hey, will you work for me? If you do it, I will pay you this much. And so at the end of the day, everyone lines up to get paid and the people who worked at the beginning assume they're going to get more than the people who joined in and just worked for an hour, right? That's a pretty reasonable assumption to make. And then they see that the master of the vineyard is paying everyone the exact same price. And and they're a little upset about this. Uh, Look at verse 11, chapter 20, verse 11. On receiving their wage, their pay, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? My Bible has a footnote on there. Do you begrudge my generosity? Yours might also. It says, or is your eye bad because I'm good? 
Literally, if you're translating that, Jesus is asking these people, hey, do you have an evil eye because you're upset that I'm going to pay these the same amount as you? It's a figure of speech. It's an expression about people who think that they deserve more, that they should have more and want to accumulate more and more and more. Do you have an evil eye because I am good? Jesus is pointing out that if you are driven by greed, if you're driven by desire to accumulate more stuff, you actually cannot see clearly. You can't see clearly. You're walking in darkness. To have a good eye, on the other hand, is to live generously, not clinging onto things, using things, using possessions for the good of people around you and in service to God. And when you think about it, it's, it's really a brilliant metaphor. It's, it's, it's a really smart image because greed is different than a lot of other sins. Uh, I, I heard Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, talking about this. He, he said, hey, when you're greedy, how do you know that you're greedy? When was the last time that you did something and you're like, oh, that points out greed in my heart? A lot of other sins, we know that we're doing the thing, Right? You look at pornography, you know that you're looking at pornography. If you commit adultery, you know you're in bed with the wrong person. If you steal something, you know that you stole it. You can justify it. We all justify all those things to ourselves all the time and try to prove that it's really not as bad as we thought it was. When was the last time you thought or realized, oh, this thing that I'm doing is greed? It's, it's really subtle. It's really hidden because we're always comparing what we have and what we want with other people because there's always someone else who has more than us. There's always someone else that we can point to and say, oh my gosh, like they are so materialistic. They are so greedy. We never think that about ourselves. Maybe you do. I don't, I don't, do, that. I don't do that very often. I have other things that I could say about myself, but I don't often come back to the fact like, oh, this desire for more is actually greed inside of me. But why do we do that? Jesus talks about greed and the power that it has in our lives more than almost anything else. Jesus talks about its power to divert us from obedience to God, relationship with God, than almost anything else. So why would we, who live in the wealthiest period in recorded history, with more resources at our disposal, with computers in our pocket that are designed by millionaires who know how to exploit what we want so that we buy more? Like, why would we not think that greed is probably a bigger issue in our lives than we think it is? It's because it's subtle. We can't see clearly. We're seen with clouded, foggy eyes. When I drove in this morning, it was dark and it was super foggy. I couldn't see anything. And Jesus is saying, if you are being driven in your life by a desire to accumulate more, that's what your life is like. You can't see clearly. You're stumbling around in the darkness, trying to find something that you can't actually see. Everyone wants light. Everyone wants to live in the light. Everyone wants to live the right way. But we try to find that with things that Jesus says will only produce more darkness. You can't create light with darkness. 
You can't achieve peace or joy or security through possessions, through accumulating and getting more things. So the two eyes is talking about the exact same thing. What are you looking at? How are you seeing? Are you walking in light through generosity, through the light that has come in Jesus? Or are you stumbling around in darkness, driven by that thing inside of your heart that always just wants a little bit or a lot more? We have a way that we can practice generosity just real tangibly this time of year. We have a benevolence offering that we're going to take at Christmas Eve where we uh, collect money that we give away to people who need, uh, need it. So maybe one of the ways that you could start pushing back against the greed that's in your heart is sitting down and talking with your friends, talking with your wife, uh, talking with your husband, saying, hey, like, what, what, what can we do to actually give away what we have this year for the sake of others? Maybe that's giving away towards a benevolence offering. Maybe that's something else. Jesus is inviting you to walk in the light of his kingdom through generosity. So two treasures, are you seeking the things that will fade away or are you seeking treasure in heaven? Two eyes, are you driven by greed, desire for more, which leads to darkness or are you walking in the light of God's truth? Are you walking in the light of Jesus? It all comes down to this last point. Jesus says the stakes are really high in the way that you answer these questions because really it's a matter of who are you enslaved to or what are you enslaved to at the end of the day. He's going to show us this picture of two masters in verse 24. This is kind of the conclusion to the section. No one can serve two masters. For either we will, he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So we don't like binary choices. We, we don't like either ors, either you are this or you are that. I hate it when people say there are two kinds of people in the world. And he's like, oh, of course not. There's way more than two kinds of people. Jesus is saying at the end of the day, there are two choices between who you're going to serve. Are you going to be enslaved to money? Are you going to be enslaved to things, or are you going to be enslaved to God? Maybe that's a really strong way to say it, but he's not talking about who are you voluntarily working for. He's not talking about employment in these verses. He's talking about masters. Who is your master? What is driving, directing, and guiding your life? God or money? And in your Bible, uh, it might say mammon. That's the actual literal word there. It comes from the Aramaic, which Jesus would have spoken. Uh, mammon is um, a word that kind of just refers to possessions, thing that we, things that we own. So it's, it's more than money. That's the way that my Bible translates it. It's not just physical cash or savings. It is all the possessions, all the things that we can hold on to, all the things that we can say, hey, that's mine, I got that, that's my security. And Jesus is gonna say, are, are you looking to that to make sure that you're okay? Because if you are, it's, it's a really harsh master it, because you're never gonna have enough. There's always gonna be something more. 
It's always gonna be at risk. So you're gonna have to work harder to try to secure it. You're gonna have to give yourself fully to making sure that you can just get a little bit more or hold on to the things that you can have. And Jesus says, it's impossible. Not unwise. Jesus says, it is impossible to give yourself completely to God and completely to the accumulation of stuff and wealth, no matter what the reason. You could have good reasons for doing it. It doesn't have to be overt flashiness. It could present itself as, well, I just need to make sure that my family is okay. I just need to make sure that my kids have enough to uh, go to the right schools. Jesus is, Jesus is saying, no, you, you can't do that. You can't serve God, give yourself wholeheartedly to him, and give yourself wholeheartedly to the pursuit of things. John Chrysostom, who's a church father, early pastor in the first century, says, when God says not possible, don't you try to say, no, it's possible. The problem is we try to do that all the time. We, we try to say, no, I, of course I can have both things. Of course I can serve God. Of course I can follow him. Of course I can hope in him. And I can give myself fully to having as much as I possibly can. Eventually, when things get hard, you're going to be trapped and enslaved to one or the other. You're gonna be trapped either in a never-ending quest to somehow achieve happiness, achieve fulfillment, achieve glory through things, or you can achieve a place in God's kingdom. And what I love is um, that choice of who you're gonna serve all comes down to the character of the person or thing that you are serving. Money, mammon, whatever you wanna call it, doesn't give a rip about you. Look what Jesus says in the following verses, we're gonna preach about this next week, about the character of the master of the kingdom. Therefore, This whole next section is Jesus's application of his teaching on possessions and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? If God provides for them, won't he provide for you? That's, 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 that's what Jesus is pointing us back to all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Are you going to serve and give yourself to the God who sees you, knows you, cares for you, loves you, and will take care of you, will meet your needs? These verses on greed is not a call just to um, like completely deny yourself of everything uh, physical in this life. No, not at all. Jesus is calling you to find the peace that you're looking for in the God who can actually give peace. He's calling you to find light, not in things, but in the God who actually is light. He's what you're looking for. He's what you're after. And he's what you cannot possibly hope to achieve on your own. So invest yourself in the kingdom of God. Give yourself to the kingdom of God. Give yourself to things that will last forever. What would this look like? 
really practically as we close down. I, I, I thought there, there are a few different groups of people, I think, in our church, and I tried to think about how this could apply to uh, all of them. So for younger or single people in the church, what does it look like to live a life in wholehearted obedience to the kingdom of God, trusting in God instead of accumulation of things? Um, I, I see like on uh, Instagram a lot, like things I wish I would have known in my 20s or things I wish I would have done in my 20s. And most of the time it comes down to, I wish I would have started like investing more. I wish I would have grinded more. I wish I would have like worked to get ahead and get that promotion so that I could be financially more secure in my 20s as I went into my 30s. Hey man, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything bad about having a good job or practicing wise investments. But Jesus is gonna say, hey, you who are young, give yourself to the kingdom. Like, how can you fully give yourself away and give your things away now that you have more flexibility than than probably any other time in your life? How can you use your time, your energy, towards the advancement of the kingdom of God? How can you show that you treasure God more than anything or anyone else? One example I thought of, um, there's, I'm reading the biography of a missionary named John Patton. He lived in the 1800s. He was born in Scotland. And when he was in his 20s, uh, he started a little mission uh, among the poor in Glasgow, and it blew up. Like, he had crazy success. He had hundreds of people uh, coming to him, joining his church. He was the next up-and-coming rising star in the Church of Scotland. He could have had a super comfortable life uh, and been really respected and really comfortable uh, in a pretty big church in Scotland. Instead, he chose to leave all of that to give it away and go to the South Pacific to be a missionary uh, to people who had never heard the gospel before because he caught a glimpse of the kingdom of God. He valued the kingdom of God more than he valued success and security back in Scotland. And all sorts of people thought he was crazy. There was this uh, old man, uh, he said in his biography, who kept coming to him over and over and over again. He's saying, well, they're cannibals down there. They'll kill you. They'll eat you. Uh, and I, lo- I love what John Patton uh, said to him. He said, hey, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now, which is a really respectful way of saying you're, you're a little bit older. You don't have much time left in your life. Uh, your own prospect is soon to be laid, laid in the grave. That's kind of, that's it's gutsy to say that. There you're gonna be eaten by worms, And I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. (laughs) And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. What, 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 What would ambition look like for you who are young to set your mind on something like that, to set your heart on something like that. Maybe it actually is selling everything you have and going overseas, or maybe it's setting patterns, habits, trajectories now so that at the end of your life, you say, oh no, I've invested in God's kingdom. I've pursued Jesus. I've looked to him all of my life, not just making sure that I accumulate stuff for myself. Parents, Um, it's really good to provide for your kids. The Bible says like it's a good thing to leave an inheritance for your kids. It also says that people who don't provide for their families are worse than unbelievers. So like taking care of your family really, really matters. But 65% of kids who grow up in churches aren't coming back to church after they leave for college. Like that's a lot. What would it look like for you to spend the time that you have with your kids not working to make sure that they have enough money to get into the best school, 
but working to make sure that like, oh no, I leave them a faith and, and like a zeal and a mission, a passion for the kingdom of God before I left them money that they could spend when they get older. Education is great. I love education. What would it look like for you to aim your life primarily at making sure you raise your kids in the fear of God before you raise them in the best school or the best opportunity or the best whatever? What would it look like if you sat down with your friends and your community and you looked through your budgets together and you said, hey, how can we actually spend our money, use the things that God has given us to invest in the kingdom of God, to teach our kids what it looks like to follow Jesus, to live in his kingdom? What would it look like if you taught them to give away what they had instead of just look for more and more and more? There's crazy opportunities for us not to fixate on what we can give our kids materially, but the legacy that we can leave them spiritually. For the older, retired, advanced in years people in the room, um, we need you. We are a young and dumb church. So like we need wisdom and experience. We need to know what a life lives, like lived for the kingdom of God looks like. We need your wisdom. We need you not just to sit back and enjoy uh, your years. I want, I want you to be comfortable. I want you to be respectable. But like more than that, I want you to use what you've received from the Lord and pass it on to us. Like we need you. So what would it look like for you to, instead of making sure that you live the rest of your life in the most comfortable way, what if you made it your ambition, your aim to live generously in the kingdom of God? Maybe that's financially, maybe you're blessed with a lot of money, or maybe that's just passing on wisdom. Maybe that's passing on the fear of God to the rest of us. We, we, we need you. And again, all of this, comes down, like you can do all of that. You can risk your family. You can risk your future for the kingdom of God because the king is actually a good king who practiced all of these things, right? Like the king of the kingdom has gone before us and shown us the way. His heart led him to sacrifice his life on our behalf. Jesus didn't just sit back in heaven treasuring everything that he had, treasuring the comfort and glory that he had. He actually left heaven, came down to earth, that's what we celebrate this time of year at Christmas, and gave himself for us to save us. If you wanna know what a life lived for the kingdom of God looks like, look at Jesus. Look at the way that he gave himself for us. If you want to look, if you want to know what light looks like, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the one who gives us and brings us light. If you feel greedy, like you can't, you, you can't change your heart. You're, there are things that you could do to like maybe make yourself a little bit of a better person. You can't bring light. Darkness can't create light. You need the light of Jesus. So come to him. And he says that he will change you. He said that he'll give you light. He'll show you how to walk in light. And he shows us what a life in complete service and submission to God looks like. It looks like walking up to a Roman cross, dying for the sins of the world, taking your sin on his shoulders. And then what's on the other side of that? Hebrews says that Jesus did all of that for the joy that was set before him. 
the joy of resurrection, the joy of a kingdom that can't be shaken, that you can't lose. And that's what we get to celebrate, not just this time of year, but every single Sunday when we come to church and gather together, that Jesus' broken, broken body, his shed blood, his resurrection is the most sure thing in this life. Money can't secure us. Possessions can't secure us. Jesus has secured everything on our behalf. So if you believe that, then you're a Christian and let's celebrate communion together. Let's not just talk about that. Let's actually come up and receive the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. Let's remember, let's rejoice, and let's take all of the grace that he has to offer us as we live in this world. The way that we celebrate communion here at Redeemer, if you're a Christian, you're welcome to this table. We, want, we think that we're all equal before the foot of the cross. We're all in equal need of grace. And so we'll have stations up in the front. We'll have two bread uh, stations that has juice and wine. You can tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice or the wine, uh, and, go, and just come up to the middle and go around back to the sides. We also have a single-serve gluten-free station over here. Uh, if you uh, aren't comfortable in uh, sharing a common cup or if you're gluten-free, uh, you are more than welcome to partake in that. There's juice on top in a cracker uh, un- underneath there, too different cups in there. Uh, if you are not a Christian, Jesus is the light of the world. We want you to know him. We are going to have people up here who would love to talk with you, pray with you. There are cards in the back of the pew that can help guide your own prayers. If you would uh, like to pray, ask God to reveal himself to you. Don't come up and take this meal. Do business with God. Ask him to reveal himself to you. If you find yourself, because this is, this is a hard time of year for a lot of people, If you find yourself in need of prayer, we would love to pray with you. We'll have people up here. You can find one of the staff members. You can find the person in the pew next to you. Ask them to pray for you. Uh, So that's how we're going to, in our service, we're going to uh, remember, we're going to rejoice, we're going to take partake in the Lord's Supper, we're going to pray, and I'm going to pray right now. Ben can come back up, and then we will uh, do communion. So, uh, Father, thank you. Thank you that uh, you speak clearly. Thank you that you love us enough to uh, direct us back to you. God, for all the uh, ways that our hearts are really divided, all the ways that we fail every single day to live in wholehearted pursuit of your and your kingdom, uh, will you forgive us? Will you give us the grace that we need? Uh, Jesus, will you bring light? Will you help us to live as generous people who know your grace, who are familiar with your voice uh, and God, help us to serve you. We really want to serve you uh, instead of money. So Lord, uh, be with us. Lord, help us. Pray all this in your name. Amen. You can come to the front when you're ready.